For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom? If you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn in it to the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. The text is printed for you in your order of worship. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, there's uh, about four of them on the back table. I'd love for you to grab one of those before you leave. Uh, That is our gift to you. Either way, any way that you can do it, it's good to have it in front of you so you see that I'm not just making this up while we're talking, okay? Um, Look, we're taking the fall and the spring this year at Holy Cross to walk through the book of Galatians, a series we're calling uh, Freedom. Uh, Galatians, uh, the letter of the Galatians is is written to a congregation that is struggling with the nature of what it means to be a Christian. In particular, um, is there something that we need to add to the work of Jesus. There's something that we need to add to even our faith in the work of Jesus that, that can make us right before God. And this week we come to Paul's amazement, his utter astonishment that, of how quickly it, it has been that, that all of a sudden this congregation has come to some kind of a disagreement over the nature of the message of Christianity, what the Bible calls the gospel. What marks out the gospel from other messages? Well, getting this straight, Paul says, is of utmost importance. So this morning we're going to be looking at Galatians 1, verses 6 to 10. If you have your place there, as is our habit here, would you stand? As we stand under the authority of God's Word, here it preached. This is, this is God's very Word, friends. It is not something we picked for ourselves. It's not something the church decided on in, in lieu of other books. It is the very Word of God that lays claim on us. So let's hear it in that way. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've come into this place with lots of different stories, lots of different experiences of our week. Some of us are excited and anxious. Some of us are are, uh, bored already. Some of us are wondering when... Uh, we can get out of here because the games are starting and others of us are just barely clinging to, the, to Jesus by our fingernails. And we need you to meet us no matter where we are this morning. Meet us by your spirit, oh God, would you open our ears and our hearts to hear from you? That we might ex- to encounter you even this morning, Lord. And Lord, would you preach your gospel to us? Jesus, would you let your work come to the fore and let the one who speaks fall to the wayside? You alone hold the words of eternal life, and so speak for your servants are listening. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. 
You and I, all of us, we live in this era, in, uh, unique, uh, unique, that's to overstate the case, okay? We live in this era that's, that's kind of different, it's the era of retelling, and what I mean by that is that it's, it's seemingly popular, I don't know whether this is, this is just that they've run out of good stories to tell or, or what have you, but it seems to be more and more popular to take old stories and to kind of revamp them and retell them in a different way, right? So you have um, Snow White presented as the warrior princess in Snow White and the Huntsman. Um, you've got... Um, the 1920s world of Gadsby filled with techno-pop and hip-hop music. Uh, or you have, you know, something like um, Ten Things I Hate About You, which is a retelling of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. Right? And so uh, we, we, sometimes these, these are retellings that are true to the spirit of the original. Sometimes they're loosely based on them. Sometimes they're only characters and names are the same. But there are some things with which... You can only retell them a certain extent before they cease to be the story. For instance, if you were to, um, you know, make a movie or, a, or a, write a story of the life of Abraham Lincoln, there are certain things we don't know. You could take some artistic license and fill in the gaps. But you would have to be crazy to believe that the dude ran around Springfield, Illinois, killing vampires with his silver pocket watch. Right? Like, at that point, when you have Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, you have moved from retelling of the story to fiction. You've moved from what is true to what is false. And that is what Paul is arguing for here. When he planted these churches in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, the southern part of modern-day Turkey, he brought to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he is arguing for now is that something else has come in and that they are in danger of substituting something that is false for what, is tr- for what was true. A false gospel in light of what he presented to them as true. So we're going to look at this text this morning in two ways. Outline is in your bulletin, if that's helpful. Uh, two really easy points. A mixed message and a clear message. All right, a mixed message and a clear message. Let's begin with the mixed one. All right, look down at verse 6. Paul says, I am amazed that so quickly you have abandoned the one who called you by his grace to a different gospel. All right. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, some, several of you in here are, and if you're really familiar with Paul's letters, and some of you are that as well, you will notice that something is missing. Because this letter begins in a different way than all of the rest of Paul's letters. Normally when he starts a letter to a church, the first thing he does is he gives thanks. I give thanks to God for you because of da 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 He doesn't seem to be too thankful right now for the Galatians, is he? Instead he's frustrated. He, in, he begins immediately with the problem. And the problem he describes as abandoning, or, or the ESV says deserting, the one who called them by his grace. Now, when Paul talks about the one who called them, in, our, in the way our translations work, it's really ambiguous. Like, does he mean him? Is he talking about himself being abandoned, or is he talking about someone else? Well, every time Paul uses this, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about God. He's talking about the fact that the Galatians are abandoning, uh, they are deserting the God who called them by his grace. Whatever Paul says is going on, whatever is going on here, Paul is telling us that it amounts to abandoning or betraying God. And he fleshes that out by saying that what is going on is they are, that, that they are abandoning God for a different gospel. All right? Now, gospel is a churchy word. It's a kind of Christianese. Uh, for some of us who aren't as familiar with the, the churchy language, it's, it's just kind of like a style of music. right? But the word gospel basically just means good news. But even saying that implies several different things. In the ancient world, when you would have the gospel of so-and-so, and, and Jesus had his gospel, but Augustus Caesar had his own gospel as well. But when you say the gospel, when you say the good news, it implies first and foremost that things are bad, or have been bad, that they are in need of changing, but that something has happened to actually affect the change. 
That's the good news, that something has happened, something fresh has come to make things different. And the gospel is that news. It is a declaration. It is the news that that fresh thing, that new thing has happened and that change has come. So what is he talking about? What what does that mean, then, the gospel? And this is important not only because it makes sense out of Galatians, not only because it makes sense out of Christianity to some extent, but because it makes sense out of our experience of the world. Right? The Bible teaches us that the world is not as it should be, that we are not as we should be, that something has changed, something has happened to us. We were created for God, but we've turned from Him. We've gone our own way and we've betrayed Him. And that betrayal made a mess of everything. That is the bad situation that needs changing. We're a mess, the world's a mess, everything's a mess, and it needs changing. We are, we are guilty before God for betraying Him. That's, betraying of God is something the Bible calls sin. It's, 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 it's betraying a person. It's not betraying a rule, it's betraying a person. But not only are we guilty, we're also broken. That betrayal of God made us stuck in it, fundamentally changed. We were now bent in on ourselves. And so we were made for God and others, but now we're bent in on ourselves. We were made for dependence on God, but now we consistently pursue our own path, our own independent way. And we were made to find our identity in God find our, our worth and our value in the God who made us. But now by nature, we seek our identity, our worth, our value anywhere but him. That is our situation. The gospel, the gospel that Paul proclaims is that God has actually done something to come in and change that. That he has done something to rescue us. Because we couldn't rescue ourselves, God did it. And that's where Jesus comes in. Because God came in Jesus to rescue us. He, he lived that life we couldn't. That perfect life before God. He, he died on the cross to bear the weight for our betrayal. To, to deal with our sin. And, and then he rose again to bring the first taste of the world made new. That is the gospel. It is not a list of rules to keep. It is not some kind of esoteric teaching on, on personal enlightenment. It is the news of what God has done to rescue us in his creation from the futility that we made for ourselves. And Paul says in giving that up, you've actually turned your backs on God. And that brings us to the troublemakers. Look down at verse 7. Paul says, this gospel that you're apparently abandoning God for isn't really another gospel at all. But some are troubling you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, what we learn here, and and it's fleshed out later, is that Paul, once he left that string of cities where he was planting churches in Galatia, that soon after he left, other teachers came. And these teachers came uh, saying something different. They, They, yeah, 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 Jesus is good. Don't get me wrong, Jesus is great. That's great what he did. But you know, if you want to be a part of, have a part in the Jewish Messiah, you do realize you have to become Jewish, right? I mean, that, that was the message they bring. I mean, you have to, to some extent, you have to do something more than just what Jesus did. Now, the details of that we're going to get to in the weeks to come, but the important thing to see here is what they were talking about, what they were teaching was adding to the work of Christ. There's something else you have to do besides what Jesus did so that everything is okay with you. Now, two things to say about this. First, Paul says, whatever that is, that isn't a gospel. That isn't good news. He lays out a very clear delineation. There's what he preached, and then there's everything else. There's the gospel, and then there's everything else. If you are adding anything to Jesus' work, Paul says, it ceases to be the gospel. But secondly, that word troubling is important too, because those people that are come to trouble the, the Galatians, that's a word that in the, um, in, in the original was, was used of people that would come in to rabble-rouse a political mob. They would 
work up and confuse the crowd to get them worked into a frenzy about something else. And so it talks of distortion and confusing of a group of people to try and point them into a different direction. Paul says they aren't giving you the gospel. They're giving you a distortion of it. In other words, there's no room here for interpretations. It's not like, well, the gospel to you is this, but the gospel to me is this. And Paul says, no, no, no. What is at stake is the central teaching of Christianity, so much so that Paul can say that in turning away from that, you are actually abandoning the God who called you. And that leads us to cursing and pleasing. Look down at verse 8. Paul says, But if we or an angel from heaven preach a gospel to you other than what was preached, let him be cursed. All right? Paul says the same thing again, so let's just stop there. I mean, let's... That's Paul getting real. You know what I'm saying? Like, he... Something is different here. Paul's, Paul's level of frustration seems to be getting at a fevered pitch. I mean, who says that to people? Like, if anyone preaches to you something different than what I said, let him be cursed. Now, I mean, most of the time in our culture, we're not okay with that because you don't apply that kind of certainty, that kind of fervency behind religious talk. I mean, you hear somebody say that, you're like, dude, you need a Prozac. Like, that's not, you're not gonna, that, that's not okay. But this is important. Paul is saying... I don't care if these dudes are saying it. I don't care if it's me. Heck, I don't care if it's an angel. If they bring to you something other than what I said, let them be cursed. Cursed. What does that mean? You're going to cuss them out. No, no. In the language that Paul's using, that means the curse is God's curse. It means eternal judgment. What the Bible calls hell. So let's put that together. What Paul is saying is if someone comes to you and they preach to you a gospel that is different from what I've preached, they need... To go to hell. Fervent. Fierce even. Why would he say something like that? Now most of us, if we heard something like that, that forcefully said, we would probably be offended. Even if, even if we might agree, we'd be like, ah, you shouldn't have said it that way. And walk out. But you see, for Christians, though, this is a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is not because, uh, because ideas are at stake. For Paul, the problem isn't that, well, these teachers are coming and teaching something different from me, and I want, to be, I want to be the one that people look to for an authority. It's that people are at stake. Even if you don't believe a lick of what I'm saying, let's just grant me some things for a second. If the Bible is true in that uh, it's correct about the fact that all of us are broken, lost, and in danger of hell, that, that we have actually betrayed God, turned away from Him, and are liable to bear that sin, And if it's also true that God actually provided a means of reconciliation for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and in no other way but through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and if I were to know that and were to teach you something else, saying, no, 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 convince you, you know, God's okay with you because you do this, this, and this. If it's anything other than Jesus, I've just condemned you. I've just knowingly condemned you. Or worse, if I keep silent, I've just knowingly condemned you. People are at stake. Now, of course, we, we think, obviously, because of our culture, that Paul is saying this to secure his power base, right? I mean, we've been taught that people who make, who make absolute truth claims, that all they're doing is trying to secure their own power. And that's why Paul puts in verse 10. Because verse 10, he's being, look, he's being accused of that. Look there now. He, 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 says, he says, look, am I trying now to, to please men or to please God? You see, these teachers... The majority of the people who would have been in these churches were Gentiles. They were Greek in their, in their background, okay? These teachers that are coming along are Jewish. 
And their claim was that Paul was not requiring Jewish customs on these Gentiles to build up his following. Okay, think with me for a second. Why would that be? Because the primary Jewish custom, the primary thing that makes you, that you can't be in the Jewish family without having, is circumcision. Right? And these were Gentile men for whom that was not part of their practice. So do you see now why people would think, Paul, you're just saying Jesus alone because you want to build up a following. I mean, talk about pleasing men. That's exactly what Paul would be doing if he's doing that. Like, sorry, no, no, don't worry. You don't have to have all of those customs. You don't have to go under the knife. Yeah, that would be pleasing of men. Yes, very pleasing. Trust me. Like, that's a good thing. Okay? Paul is saying, oh, really? You don't understand. This isn't about me. If I preach something different, I deserve exactly what they do. And that thing is not good. Paul knows the statement is offensive, and yet he means it. He's trying to make a point. Paul is saying that getting the gospel right is a big enough deal. Listen to me. It's a big enough deal that if you preach a false one, that those who are preaching a false gospel, those who are leading others into thinking that they are that whatever they're believing, are, that, that they're okay when before God they aren't. Those who are, who are scorning the way that God chose to save humanity and the world, that they should receive an eternal curse. Now, that's what he's dealing with in the mixed message. Let's try and clarify things a little bit, okay? Let's talk about the clear one. Let's begin with true and false. Some of us here, maybe many of us, we hear what this is saying, and it is offensive to us, right? We're offended because it sounds intolerant. I mean, Paul is saying, look, I have given you the truth. What these dudes have given you is not the truth. This is the truth. This is a lie. And we hate that. It seems arrogant, right? But listen, all of us make truth claims. If you're, if you're in here thinking right now, and you're thinking to yourself, uh, Rick, actually, I don't make truth claims. I actually think that all roads, all of these different faiths lead to God. They're just a perspective on the whole. And so actually, we should all just get along because none of us have the whole picture. Do you understand that what you've just done is you have imposed on me your vision of the truth? And you're telling me what I need to do is give up my vision of the truth that says that there's the gospel and then there's everything else to adopt yours, which says, oh, we're actually all okay and everything's fine. You, you have no more, you have no objective reason to believe that. It's a faith statement. And so we have opposing faith statements. And both are intolerant of the other. Right? To say that there's no such thing as objective truth or no such thing as religious truth is a truth claim. And you're asking other people to believe us. Every one of us makes a claim like that. But what's more, this idea of the gospel being intolerant, it seems intolerant because we think Christianity is kind of this, uh, another kind of esoteric teaching. You know, it's kind of like Buddhism. It's a, it's a kind of morality. But Christianity isn't a morality. That isn't to say Christianity doesn't have a morality. It does. It very much does. But the gospel is not a morality. The gospel is news about events. It's news about events that have happened. It is not intolerant to say that the Union Army won the Battle of Gettysburg, no matter where you're from. And it is not intolerant to say that Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon. It just happened. It happened. Sorry. Like, those things happened. Christianity is public truth. It is public truth about events that 
happened. Was it amazing? Was it strange? Was it unexpected? Yes, it was. But it says that Jesus lived, made claims about himself and about us, died, rose from the dead, appeared to a bunch of people, some of whom didn't believe in him, and then ascended bodily into heaven. Either that happened or it didn't. But can we please stop saying, my Christianity is accepting everyone? That is not Christianity. And let's not say that the gospel is intolerant. When the gospel simply declares events that happen and then asks us to reckon with with that fact. We may not like the truth. We may be offended by the reality of it. But that doesn't change the fact that it's true. Right? I can stand up here all day and say it is so closed-minded and restricted to say that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I really want it to be 5. That's fine. It's offensive to me that it's 5. I'm sorry. Or that it's not 5. I, you know, I'm sorry about that. We have to reckon with what we think of that truth. To change the gospel, to change the fundamental declaration of Christianity is to make it no gospel. It's to make it something other than Christianity. But, however, this is really common. And so we need to make clear a couple of things. What is not the gospel and what is the gospel. If you're working on the outline, I'm flipping those, by the way. So we're going to look at what is not the gospel first, okay? First and foremost, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not, God will accept me because I'm moral, sincere, hardworking, or mean well. If that is the case, then Jesus' death was not necessary. We didn't need someone to die for us. We just needed a few more rules to follow. And if you believe this this morning, let me ask you something. How much is enough? How much morality? How much sincerity? How much, how how well-meaning do you have to be? Right? Or perhaps a better one would be, whose definition of morality? Because, I mean, Jesus said um, that murder is a real thing. But it also happens in your heart when you rage at someone internally. He said adultery is a real thing. You go do that. But actually you do the same thing when you lust after someone in your heart. And that loving another person, that's great. Especially if they're nice to you. But listen, you're called to love your enemies. Which in his context meant people that were abusing you, oppressing you, and hurting you and your family. So whose morality are we going to follow? Whose standard are you hoping in? If the good news is be good and try hard, then what about those who can't seem to? Like me. Doesn't sound like good news to me. So it's not go be good, moral, well-meaning, but it's also God will accept me, or it's also not God will accept me if I'm tolerant. Two things on this. First, for the life of me, and trust me, I have tried. I cannot find in our Bibles... The idea of tolerance, the way we practice it in our society. I cannot find it. Jesus certainly didn't practice it. I know that may sound shocking, but he called people to actually leave their lives, abandon everything to come follow him. He didn't say, oh, your life is fine, whatever you want to do. He said, no, 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 you've got to leave that and follow me. You gotta, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. He told the rich young ruler, your extravagant lifestyle is fine, but it's keeping you far from me. So you've got to sell everything and come with me. He told the woman caught in adultery, no, I'm not going to stone you, but you go and sin no more. Did he hang with sinners? Of course. If he didn't, he wouldn't have been able to be in the world, right? But his call was consistently to leave those things behind and to follow him instead. It was to order their lives around him and to trust him. 
But in addition, like, if you say that God accepts you because you're tolerant, can I challenge you? You're implicitly saying that God does not accept the intolerant person, which is just another way of saying God loves me because I'm good. You've just switched good and tolerant. So Jesus never had to die. You don't need grace, and God is lucky to have you. But what do you do? Listen to me. What do you do with the fact that there is always at least one group of people with whom you have no tolerance? It's generally the intolerant. I can't stand those intolerant people. So how much tolerance do you have to show before God accepts you? Is it perfect? Is it just enough, or is it just to the left of you? Third, the gospel is not, and listen close, and if you've, if you've been raised in, in, uh, or grown up more or less in your Christian faith evangelical context, I need you to listen close to this one. The gospel is not, God accepts me because of my faith. Now this may shock you, but hear me out. Faith does not save you. Faith does not save you. You are saved not by faith, but through faith. When we believe that we are saved by our faith, that God accepts me because of my strong faith, because of my trust in him, then then we have set up a standard outside of Jesus. It is not Jesus' work that makes us right. It is the fact that I have such strong belief that makes us right so that when, not if, when that faith starts to shake and stagger, we are tempted to think, God does know my acceptance of God is at stake. Maybe, Maybe he doesn't love me. I can't seem to get myself to trust in him. Listen, inviting Jesus into your heart does not save you. Jesus saves you. Must you have faith in him? Absolutely. But it is Jesus who is the basis of our salvation, not the amount of faith we can stir up to put in him. It is his performance, not the performance of your faith, that makes things right between you and God. Lastly, the gospel is not some variation. Listen to me. It is not some variation on... God wants me to be happy, rich, or never get sick. In many circles, that is called the prosperity gospel. Let me be as clear as I can. This is a false gospel that warrants the curse that Paul calls down here. This is a variation on the my faith saves me thing, but what it says is, if if I have enough faith, God will bless me. Listen to me. God is not your Coke machine. You put in your your faith, you push your button, and you get your blessing out of it. God is not a machine. He is a person. And if it is the case that if I have enough faith, I will be rich and wealthy and and, and healthy and all this stuff, then the Apostle Paul did not have enough faith. The Apostle Peter did not have enough faith. And most of the church over the last 2,000 years has just been running around in faithlessness. How dare they die for their faith? If they just believed God enough, they would have been fine. How dare they give up all and follow him in a path of poverty? If they just believed God enough, he would have given them all the money in the world. So then what is it? Right? What's left? What is the gospel? What is left is what the New Testament gives us. The gospel is this. It is the wonderful news that God has finally come and fulfilled his promises to make the world right. It is that we were lost and in need of rescue. Not some of us were lost. All of us were lost and in need of rescue. 
Some of us were lost in our morality and our self-righteousness. Others of us were lost in our immorality and defiance. But we were all lost in a need of rescue. And God came in Jesus to live the sinful life we couldn't, to die to bear the weight of our betrayal of God before Him, and then to rise again. That is the work that makes us right before God. That, right there. That is it. We are called to turn from our pursuit to make ourselves right either through our moralism or our immorality and instead just place our faith in Jesus. That is the good news. That is the gospel. It is a finished work. It is not a work that kind of gets you part of the way and then you got to make up for it. It is a finished work. And it is open to all who come. Not just the good, not just the sincere, not just the strong, but the weak, the broken, the helpless, the notorious, and the struggling. It tells us that we were far more sinful and broken than we ever thought and far more loved than we ever dared dream. That is the gospel. Last thing this morning. If you're a Christian, my guess is you are really tempted right now to think, Rick, I have that. I got that. I've had that for years. Why are we doing this again? Why do we have to go through this again? Haven't we covered this basis? Can't we move on? Listen to what Paul says. I am astonished that so quickly you have abandoned the one who called you by his grace for a different gospel. We are prone to wander from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is easy for us to think, I am where I am because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, people like me. And you know what? I believe the right things. No, no. I am astonished at how quickly you have abandoned the one who called you by his grace for a different gospel. It is Jesus, and it is Jesus alone. That is why you will always hear in this place this message. Because you and I will quickly abandon it. We need to be clear on what is the gospel and what is not. And so, this morning, let us all return again to the Lord whether it's for the first time or for the first time in the last five seconds, let us return again to the Lord who accepts us based not on what we do, but on what he has done. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come, we ask for your grace. And as we we come out of this time, we just ask that you would press on us. Whether we are in this room and we struggle with moralism and self-righteousness or we struggle with our immorality and defiance, whether we have been Christians forever or whether we are still on the fence trying to figure out whether or not we want to follow Jesus, I pray that you would meet us, that you would speak to us, and that by your Spirit you would work faith in us. Without you, we are lost. We give you praise for the gospel. We give you praise for the finished work of Christ and ask that you would apply it to us even this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.